Welcome to another Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about all the kinds of digital cultures and stuff that happens, whether it's on the internet or things we play, screen-mediated stuff. We love it. We also like to complain about it, and boy, are we going to do more of that today. Joining me, as always, is Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are you enjoy having your own introduction back, me not sideswiping you on your own podcast like last week? <laughs> yeah, though, you know, I, yeah, I was just saying before we went to I'm like, suddenly uh, the, the time of our uh, recording today just completely <laughs> snuck up on me. Um, so it might have been, might have been better if you again just snuck up on me and <laughs> doorstopped me. <laughs> To get the ball rolling. <laughs> well, actually, we should start with that because last week we talked a lot about your attempt to cut Facebook out of your life. And I know you said yeah. this out on the um, uh, the Biteside mail out, but I just think it'd be interesting to revisit quickly because it, it hasn't been possible, has it? Yeah, look, I, I, I realised I could play this game where I pretend it's going to work for a few months and then eventually go, no, nah, you know what? It's Whereas in the end I went, I, I literally had a number of completely, you know, I I write about technology. I write more and more. I really am kind of focusing on this whole digital culture domain of how tech and tech services are changing how society works. And I had multiple occasions where I realized I need to be able to access what is happening on Facebook as part of my work. And so I just had to accept that, the idea of somehow boycotting Facebook, for me personally, as someone who works professionally in the space, is just untenable. And I would essentially be removing myself from the ability to report on it and in its own way to to bitch about it, basically. <laughs> um, and I think that's really important. It's like if we're going to demand that Facebook be better and given that also that most people are never going to go down the quick path um, that, you know, my aim from here, I guess, is going to be to to do everything I can to hold it accountable for what it's doing and to help people think of how to mitigate the problems. Um, but yeah, I just straight out of the gate, too many things happened that made me go, I can't, I can't actually do this. Um, so instead it's about, yeah, thinking of different ways to talk about this whole issue. It is fascinating because it, it really has ramifications when we think about how we, we, we get to vote in a weird way with our paychecks, our, our wallets, but also with, you know, the information we're handing over with being part of that service. What does it say when, when it's so hard to disengage ourselves? I mean, I barely use Facebook and I don't know how I'd go about disengaging myself. We touched on it last week, but living in regional Australia, there are a lot of local businesses I interact with who don't have a web page. It's all done via Facebook for them. If I was trying to cut that out, that really changes the way I can, I don't know, just have day-to-day life in a very fundamental way. Yeah, and I, th- I feel like one of the most immediate things that I want to encourage people toward, it's, it's so ridiculously old school that it feels like a joke, but I genuinely think people should start updating their contact lists again, you know, their digital address book. Yeah. Actually make sure, do I have phone numbers and email addresses for the people that are most important to be my most important contacts? Because I think we have all fallen into lazy mode where we basically do just go, I know I can contact someone through Facebook Messenger uh, and that's not going anywhere. So why would I 
have any other way of contacting them. But, you know, I think there is something to be said for that idea of saying, why not just little by little, you don't have to do it all at once, but it is something that does kind of at least give you a form of leverage to think I can contact people without relying on Facebook if I know that their contact details are actually up to date. Look, that aside, we should note that you were not the only person who's attempting to boycott Facebook. There is actually a, a bit of a movement called Stop Hate for Profit. 300 advertisers trying to pledge to not spend money on the platform for the entire month. I know there were some meetings happening, I, I think, today between some of the concerned groups. Yeah, uh, so a big meeting took place uh, where uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Chris Cox, who I think is in charge of product. Um, and I always, I always love it whenever I see his name on this list. Vice President for Global Affairs and Communications, Nick Clegg, that is former <laughs> British politician, Nick Clegg, uh -huh. um, who was also, I believe, at one point working with, like, he was somehow tied up in all the Cambridge Analytica stuff that happened at some point in, out of Britain as well. Um, but you know, he's in charge of, Global Affairs and Communications. Um, but, yeah, they sat down and met with um, a whole bunch of the people who were involved with organising the Stop Hate for Profit uh, campaign. And off the back of that, I believe Facebook released a statement where, and it is amusing, they basically sort of said, um, we, are, we are going to make more changes about how uh, this, you know, how we approach um, racially sensitive content and divisive content, all this sort of stuff. But we're not doing it because people are holding us to ransom financially. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And it's like, well, why are you doing it this week of all weeks <laughs> if it wasn't because of the, the boycott? Um, but essentially, I've seen a number of statements from that group that basically walked out of the meeting and they said, uh, I think there's a, yeah, Free Press uh, co-CEO Jessica Gonzalez, uh, who was one of the organisers of the campaign, um, said, Stop Hate for Profit didn't hear anything today to convince us that Zuckerberg and his colleagues are taking action. Instead of committing to a timeline to root out hate and disinformation on Facebook, the company's leaders delivered the same old talking points to try to placate us without meeting any demands. Deeply disappointed that Facebook still refuses to hold itself accountable to its users, its advertisers, and society at large. I was hoping to see some deep humility and reflection, but the outsized role, sorry, about the outsized role that Facebook plays in shaping beliefs, opinions, and behavior, and the many harms it's caused and facilitated in real life. Instead, we saw more dialogue and no action. Uh, you know, and they go on in the statement to talk about sort of a number of the very explicit issues that have been directly attributed to things that have happened on Facebook. Um, but in the end, they've said Facebook approached our meeting today like it was nothing more than a PR exercise. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it feels like the same old, same old. Um, and I believe, what was the other thing? I, you know, I, there was a leaked comment from last week, which kind of reflected one of the things I said about the boycott on the show last week, which was, you know, the money isn't going to hit them anywhere it hurts. It's about reputation. And apparently Zuckerberg literally said that in a meeting, uh, you know, <laughs> in an internal meeting. He basically said, this is really a reputational thing and it's okay because the advertisers will be back pretty soon. 
Oh, my Lord. Okay, well, you know, provided they think they've got a handle on it. One thing I did miss, and I don't think we touched on it last week, um, it's been interesting to me, stuff in New Zealand um, just across the pond, they, I think it was last year, they actually already backed away from any paid advertising on Facebook, but they are having an experiment with stopping all activity on Facebook and Instagram. Now, that is huge for a media company. They are a massive media company in New Zealand. I will... I think we should probably keep an eye on that and just see how that goes for them because that could set the tone for other organizations. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what? So they've decided to not kind of like have their own page running or something like that? But yeah, as far as I can understand, they are yeah. trialing absolutely no Facebook activity at all. Yeah, that's really impressive. And so Stuff was just recently purchased for a dollar by one of its, uh, I believe, a former executive because... Uh, nine owned, I think, was it nine? I think it was nine who owned stuff. And then they were basically going to shut it down um, because they were like, yeah, we're tired of trying to play both sides of the pond and let's just, you know, get rid of these New Zealand assets that we don't care about as much anymore. Um, but yeah, they let uh, someone who. Sinead Boucher. Exactly, sorry? Sinead Boucher, the chief executive. Right. Yeah. So like it, it really interesting that it does sound like, you know, I read a great interview where she was talking about um, moving towards creating a situation where it is owned by its own staff and like to do a lot of kind of really positive media organization type work to, you know, to set it up in a way that means everyone involved with it is kind of almost like a cooperative kind of environment. Um, and so, yeah, a step like this sounds like there's some really progressive ideas on how to try to engage um, with an audience in a totally different way. So that is pretty, pretty cool. I think it'd be really interesting. So, you know, staff actually did stop advertising on Facebook pretty much after the 2019 mosque attacks in Christchurch. They, they vocally said they didn't want to contribute financially to a platform that profited from hate speech and yeah, violence. Right. And um, look, this, they have quite a presence there. Uh, just under a million people follow the stuff's news page on Facebook and uh, a bit over 130,000 on Instagram. So, you know, they're not saying, they're saying goodbye to quite an audience. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's one thing if I turn around and go, you know what, I've got like, you know, 600 followers on the Biteside page. Um, it's not really, Whoa. I'm not throwing much away. <laughs> hey, that's 600. Whereas a million followers really does convert to traffic. It, it really genuinely does. Look, we will keep an eye on what's happening with Stuff's experiment. I want to move on a little bit because there's actually been something really interesting happening just down the road from me today in Narromine. Now, if you don't know the area, Narromine actually is home to the world's oldest aero club. It's got this amazing history of aeronautics, gliding, plane travel, the full works. It's about to become the host of a flying car testing zone. This is costing about a million dollars as part of a state government grant. Uh, we are, when I, I got in trouble today for saying flying cars. I'm using it as a, um, a bit of a shorthand. We are talking about electric VTOL vehicles uh, being made by an Australian company called AMSL Aero. And what they're actually testing is passenger vehicles. So it's a vertical takeoff. fantastic. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Vertical takeoff and landing. I think the current idea is that 
I believe they're going to be autonomous, carry maybe six people and uh, should be able to get speeds of up to 300 kilometres per hour. They've done something incredibly interesting with the wings and it's wildly hard to describe, but what they've basically done is create a, a wing propeller system that allows them to get much quicker speeds when in flight mode while not losing that vertical takeoff. Uh, you can have a bit of a hunt for a photo of it. Oh, it, yeah, it does look yeah, amazing. Yeah, that looks really clever. It is incredibly clever. So the idea is that Narrowmine, and it'll start testing, I think, early next year, but it is going to be the home for all this flying car technology for this particular company. And one of the main reasons they want to do it is, A, you've got amazing airspace out here, but they actually think the genuine early applications for technology like this will be better positioned for regional travel than urban travel. And that's always interested me because I think you and I over the years back at, you know, CNET and other places we've caught up, I've often thought of, you know, flying cars, autonomous drones, whatever, as very much about avoiding traffic jams, about, you know, getting from Mm. one side of town to another. But they're saying that actually the distances make this viable for, say, small regional towns that don't have an airport for maybe um, uh, medical concerns, maybe dropping off supplies, but they're saying that actually this is all about the tyranny of distance in regional area, not about making commutes better for metro people. That is a really, really good way to think about this. It reminds me that up in Queensland, there's been an annual uh, autonomous kind of uh, autonomous drone uh, competition that I think takes place where it is about uh, like offering medical assistance uh, to yeah, someone who might be like stuck in the outback or something like that, but it's like a global competition because it's it's about this idea of saying each year you know it's like you you won't know where you know the in this case it's like a dummy or something it's like you won't know where it's located in the test site so your drone has to be able to go out autonomously search the field find the person, drop off a support package to them. Um, So, like, they always kind of try to up the stakes on the testing each year. Um, And in that process, almost like the Robo World Cup type stuff, right, it's about kind of creating that shared environment for everybody to get better with the technology year over year. Um, But, again, yeah, it's funny. It kind of just hits me because that is possible, again, because of just the nature of the vast spaces here in Australia that means they could sort of, hold these kinds of events in places where they aren't going to sort of get caught up with weird um, air traffic concerns and things. And so it sounds like, yeah, that this idea of both creating that testing opportunity uh, out there at Narromine and then the idea that this could be really helpful to people out there. And as you say, like, you know, like Royal Flying Doctor Service type stuff yeah. in the long term, you think, wow, there could be all sorts of potential here for uh, for servicing the outback in the long term, not just using it as a test site. That's brilliant. Well, well the 300 kilometre per hour is actually quite an amazing speed when you look at this this little beast of a autonomous vehicle. And again, I was not at the press conference today, so my apologies if it turns out it's not autonomous. That's certainly what I've been led to believe from the information. But, um, you know, like saying Narromine to Sydney, that's just over 300 kilometres. That makes that a one-hour trip. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, that's brilliant. And like, I just thought I'd quickly look up like a Dash 8. I know that's sort of a typical plane that often services yeah. regional needs. That can do about, uh, it says a top speed, top cruising speed of about 660 Ks an hour. And you're like, again, that's sort of a, you know, a full passenger vehicle, all that sort of stuff. So, but, you know, to be able to do something like this that is, you know, being tested as autonomous and that sort of stuff, 
at like 300 k's an hour is a fantastic thing to be able to do. And look, so much, you know, we don't know. What's the battery life like? It's an electric vehicle, you know, obviously more batteries, more weight, blah, blah, blah. There's all those issues around that. We do know that one of the things, because I, I actually did chat to John Barillaro, Deputy Premier of New South Wales today. He was in town making the announcement. I had him on oh, the show cool. yeah, at the start. And he did kind of throw in that they are looking at military applications as well. So it's not just passenger drones. But, um, you know, I just think... Um, it is nice to see a technology that, you know, one of the grabs I played while we were talking about it was the Avery Brooks ad campaign from IBM where he goes on about it's the year 2000, where are my flying cars? You know, 20 years ago we were joking that flying cars were supposed to have already been here by now. Certainly was by now. Back to the future <laughs> yes. with the flying cars. That's set in the year 2015. Yep. So I just think it's amazing <laughs> to look at this technology, which I think we often think of not having regional applications and to say that, no, not only will it actually impact regional New South Wales and other states as well, but it's actually going to have a job flow effect for those areas as well. Really, really happy to be able to talk about it. Yeah. No, that's a really, really cool thing. And as you say, just great that it's like so much attention was thrown at Uber Air and so many parts of it over the long term has really kind of washed out to be very, um, yeah, very promotional in nature. And what? Not all... <laughs> um, so it's great to see something that actually is also based on local tech too. And, you know, long term, you're like, man, this could exactly be the kind of thing where someone like Uber comes in and goes, actually, can we can we license your tech? Thanks. We needed something awesome. good. We needed something good. But yeah, I'm just, yeah, I've been thinking about this. Do you remember the e-hang from when we was that what it was called? The e-hang, the one-person autonomous drone that the Chinese company showed off at CES a few years back when we were there. Yeah, and it's like it. I mean, it it was a sexy vehicle too. It was. Know? I think what I what I like about that picture of of this technology is that I'm like going, that looks like it's built to work. Um, it's not trying to look like it's not trying to look like it is out of Blade Runner. It's just it just looks like we've come up with a system that does a really good vertical takeoff and landing, and then the like the propellers flip to kind of give you the forward. You know, it just looks like let's make it practical. <laughs> it does look really practical. I've got to say, it does not have the sex appeal of. I think it was the E-Hang 184. I wish I could remember this properly. But, you know, when we saw that a few years ago, there was a big chat about how it was just around the corner. Um, <laughs> we've been waiting for so long, and, and, and I'm always kind of curious. It, it strikes me that at this point we have to acknowledge it's not the technology that's lacking necessarily. It's the application and the laws around it. Yeah. Um, so I just looked it up. The E-Hang 184 was, yep, a single seat uh, electric VTOL uh, where the 184 stood for one passenger, eight propellers, four arms. Oh. Uh, and I noticed a link to it saying uh, the E-Hang 184 brackets defunct. <laughs> <laughs> and look, also fantastic lesson here that is always that great one from these sorts of things around CES type announcements like if they've got a really sexy rendered video but not an actual real thing <laughs> flying around, uh, try to avoid writing big fancy stories about it like uh, many tech outlets love to do. Many, many <laughs> do. Yeah, look, the CES thing, we are getting off track here, is always interesting when they show the demos. And I think 
oh, I can't remember which car manufacturer it was, the one who had actually had their self-driving car drive from San Francisco to CES in Las Vegas. That is when you got proof of purchase. Yeah, that's right. That was actually that was a good one. Yep. Um, but look, I see Ehang is still working on the the technology. So you know, it's just that one eight four model is kind of out. But uh, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like Ehang has completely <laughs> left the business. Um, they just you know moved under other models, uh, ones that perhaps are more practical and don't look quite so uh, just inherently futuristic, and actually focus on making sure that they work really effectively. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for lots of flying cars in our future. <laughs> Um, Nick, I'm going to just stumble into the next segue and Please ask do. you, um, what is your, uh, you know, we're into the little hot tip section. What is your hot tip for this week? Okay. So remember or do my, you even have one? I do, I do. Um, well, it's not quite a hot tip as much as a, another sales horror story. Cause I thought you'd really appreciate this. <laughs> now you do remember, and I'm hoping anyone who's listening does remember my weird tale of wish where I'd ordered myself a poncho, ended up with a pair of lady shoes, wish have refused to acknowledge that there's an issue there. I'm currently trying to have still, the chance. Yeah, still nothing on our follow-up? No, no, I'm they still... Just... Well, look, I've stopped talking to Wish. I've actually gone to my bank and said, this was a fraudulent yep. um, uh, transaction. Uh, my bank, yeah. being a bank, has posted me some letters that I need to fill out and fax back to them to make this work. So, huh. anyway... I work with a wonderful woman called Mel, and Mel is a rampant online shopper. Like She makes me look like I've never purchased anything from the internet in my entire life. And uh, she says she often has so many things arriving, she kind of forgets what she's ordered and what it's meant to be. What she ordered... It's like every every package is a, is a gift in it itself. Is, it is. But what she'd ordered, and she showed me the video of what this is supposed to be, and it's a, one of those cute little... Um, how do I describe it? It's like a mini kitchen that you unfold for a picnic. It's a box and then a bit unfolds here and there's a little stovetop and there's actually a little sink area and you can unfold a few bench spaces and it's like a little food prep area if you needed to cook something for your picnic. It looks quite cute. Right. As she said, it was so cheap she didn't expect much out of it, but she was really curious to see what it was, how it worked. Just It was one of those speculative purchases. Now, what arrived were two collapsible cloth boxes and a single pillowcase. And soft boxes. Soft, like, you know, um, like a little storage box where you might um, pop it open to put some things in it, and then when you don't need it anymore, it can collapse back down. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yep. So, <laughs> collapsible boxes and a pillowcase. And she's like, oh. Well, this is a little unusual, and uh, she's emailed them saying, hey, I I got a notification that my picnic box was delivered, uh, but instead I got this pillowcase, single pillowcase, and collapsible fabric boxes. Uh, Please find attached photos of my order. Um, What can you do? And I'm going to read this in full because it is just so beautiful. Thank you for your email. This is absolutely the product we want to sell to you. We are sorry that the items you purchased are not what you were expecting. I completely understand your disappointment with our product. This product, however, is very popular with Chinese. As the product can still work well, could you try it for a little period of time? Maybe you could give it to others for a gift. If you do want to return the unit, we will provide you with a return address, but please kindly understand that you need to pay the return shipping fee and it always costs more than $20. This is not a good choice for you. 
<laughs> I mean, it feels really thoughtful and really like, hey, we understand, but you know what? Maybe you'll enjoy this. Oh, it's wow. definitely the product we wanted to sell you. I just, I'm in awe. I love it. It, it actually makes my shoes look positively reasonable by, because at least mine was a product of some form. But um, I, I've never, it's almost like scamming as poetry. There's a beauty to that email, which I didn't expect. Yeah. Ah, so instead of slam poetry, we've got scam poetry now. <laughs> scam poetry. That's how it goes. Anyway, that was supposed to be a tip. There we go. Uh, my tip is don't expect what you ordered off the internet to arrive. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. What if you less? And it, again, you'll be more, more pleasantly surprised if you pre-prepare yourself for the idea that, that these things just, they're not expected to ever come. <laughs> Who doesn't need a single pillowcase? <laughs> and two soft boxes. Yeah, of course. So what's Maybe she your... could fashion a side table from the two boxes and then, like, just if she can really firmly attach the pillowcases. To the... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I'll try and find some photos that you can um, share when we, when we send this um, podcast out. What is your hot tip? So um, I think either this morning or yesterday. No, it was yesterday. Um, really exciting. I'm a big user of D&D Beyond. I think we've kind of talked about in the past that playing a lot more D&D online these days uh, with everything that's happened and even just through that process, managing to actually play on a regular basis is its own kind of exciting reward, really. Um, catching up with old friends through, you know, using services like Roll20, but we everybody is kind of using uh, D&D Beyond as our character sheet system. So um, that's a service. It's not uh, it's not owned by Wizards of the Coast, who run Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's you know another company, but you know very, very uh, you know, entirely authorized as this kind of partnership product. Um, and they make it really easy to kind of set up and manage your character sheet digitally through their service. So really, really cool stuff. Um, but until now, it has all been uh, like tablet friendly and PC friendly, but not phone friendly. On the phone, you could get, you could do things like um, access rule books and things digitally, but you couldn't have a good version of your character sheet right there on your phone. Um, and then, so yesterday, they've actually launched the the phone app for your D and D Beyond character sheets, and I think it's a actually a really, really positive step forward for this whole thing because. Like, let's say even playing here at your computer or let's say you're on a laptop, right? Mm -hmm. You might want to be playing, you want to see your friends um, on a, you know, in like a video chat and you want to see sort of the game space that you're using um, as sort of the two main things you might want to see. But your character sheet, being able to just have that on your phone is so handy. And it even made me think about that, you know, now that we are, Thankfully, you know, sorry to all our friends down in Melbourne at the moment. Horrible yeah. to have to lock back down again. Um, but, you know, being able to start getting back together in person is kind of really lovely. But it made me realize that having this phone-based character sheet could even often let us get away from sitting around the table and be able to kind of sit on, like, sit on a couch and relax in the lounge room. And you might have a coffee table where you roll the dice and stuff. But often that biggest issue with being able to kind of play a role-playing game in a really comfortable setting is that you need somewhere for your pens and paper, for your character sheets, 
to kind of be laid out really carefully and check all your details. So being able to have that all just straight there on your phone is actually super handy. So I'm just really, really impressed. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to give that a big shout out this week. Look, uh, rug up and go to a park and play with some friends. I mean, this sounds amazing. Totally. Yeah. Look, um, yeah, and I mean, I use I use little dice box these days as well. So, um, you know, I it's funny. I didn't really care about dice boxes for so long, and then a couple of sort of official D and D dice box things kind of were released, uh, and they sent me one out to try. And I've just found it even at a table. It's just so handy to not <laughs> throw a die and then have it like bounce off a couple of glasses and fall on the floor. Um, but, yeah, again, you, you go down the park or wherever and it's like, yep, I've got a little tiny surface where I can roll the die and that's all I need, that and a phone. I mean, that's just, yeah, completely brilliant. Hey, it's of fun. It. I should say, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I'm actually in a D&D campaign at the moment. Um, an old friend of ours, David Hollingworth, has been running one. So I've been playing Excellent. with some friends and we have been using D&D Beyond. Um, and I'm still coming to grips with it. I've only played a couple of sessions. Um, it is there's so much you can do with the character sheet. It's actually a bit overwhelming early on. I am really looking forward to trying the phone app because I saw that um, yesterday as well. I'm pretty excited about it. And just out of nowhere, I still can't bring myself to trust online dice rollers. And I know that one of the things that computers does incredibly well is generate random numbers, but I keep thinking that somehow it's not properly random if I'm not rolling it myself. <laughs> you're like the the moment that you clicked it is going to change what kind of a exactly. role you're going to get. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> I'm excited to use the app. Yeah. Now that's awesome. Look, we'll wrap it up there. Um, Nick, I would love to hear about all the places people can catch up with you. Find me on Facebook. I am still there. It's just Nick Healy. Or track me down on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Nick. That is DR with one of those trendy little underscores and then NIC. So trendy now, those underscores. <laughs> Everyone loves them. I blame TikTok. <laughs> um, I'm at Seamus on Twitter. I'm at Seamus Burn on Facebook because I am <laughs> going to still be there. And look, one of the things I've been thinking is I, I'm thinking of actually for a while, like making just a full diving commit back into it and really, really, really share every bad story I see about Facebook on Facebook and in that way, it probably means that you won't really find me on Facebook all that much because their algorithms will hide me far better than they hide any crazy right-wing uh, QAnon-type craziness that they otherwise seem to be big fans of. So um, you need to actively find me because you sure won't see it in your newsfeed. <laughs> and then I am at Seamus Byrne on Instagram. Uh, and then, of course, all the bite sides at the bite side on Instagram slash Biteside on Facebook and at Biteside on Twitter. I'm about to do a little cheeky Hearthstone giveaway, I think. Um, I mean, I say I think. I was double-checking with uh, Blizzard if it's okay if I do. They sent me a code for something. I'm like, I might just give this away. Um, so check that out on Twitter if you happen to be around there. And, of course, you can email us, ask at Biteside.com. Nick, <laughs> great to catch up as always. Good to chat. And we'll catch you all real soon. <laughs>